Welcome to another episode at the Be Guided and Be Great podcast, where being intuitive is understood and being sensitive is a good thing. I'm your host, Kate St. Clair. Today, we're recording this podcast during quarantine, so I have to just say that the doorbell might ring from another delivery. The kids are home, and we've got puppies around, so everybody's active, and if you hear some background noise, though everybody's trying to be at their best behavior, mm, like that, things are going to come up this episode, and I apologize for that. Um, but this is part of life, and that's what this podcast is. It's real life stuff. So I know that you, um, whatever I go through, you go through, and we're all, we're in all of this together. So um, today's podcast is called Beautiful Sensitive, and really, I'd I'd written an article that we're going to go over today, um, but it's really a love note from me to you um, because I I know what it's like to be a sensitive, and I know the intricacies of the things that we deal with being a sensitive. And so anyone who can um, admit this part of themselves and then take the next step and actually live, be brave enough to live as a sensitive is something I admire above most things. So um, I hope you find this podcast helpful and I hope that it connects with you my heart to your heart. And uh, I hope at the end of this, you realize and feel that you're not alone and you're just one of millions and millions of other people that see the world through a certain lens, and that lens is actually really beautiful, even though statistically we're convinced it's not. So what I'm going to do is uh, this article is on my website at katesaintclair.com, and it's in the, the blog area, and it's called Beautiful Sensitive. And I'm going to read this article to you while freestyling off of it. So... Um, I'm going to tell stories and I'm going to pull more information off to sort of fill out um, what the original purpose of the article was all about. Okay, so let's get started. You are beautiful. So damn beautiful. I've had the privilege of working with other intuitives since 2007 and I've seen it all. I train other intuitives and I know what it's like to be you. We are different. Let's admit it. <laughs> Let's just admit it. I also have to admit that um, I had a infection in my jaw. In It started, I guess, in September of this year, I think. It's kind of acting up today, though I think the infection's gone. I still sort of have inflammation off of it. And um, I think my enunciation is going to be off a little bit today. So forgive me if um, I miss a few words that are you can't really understand. <laughs> so... Um, but back to the story, um, growing up, my family told me I was weird and odd, and it was a daily sort of programming, and no one outside of my family said that to me. Most people thought I was quite amazing, actually. Recently, I received a letter from a girl I grew up with. She and I are friends on Facebook um, for the last couple of years, and over those last few years, I have shared some very, very personal stories um, and struggles that I endured in my childhood. And uh, out of the blue, she sent me a beautiful book and a very long letter um, admitting that she had always admired me, secretly wishing she was me, thinking, thinking I must have it all because she thought I was pretty. She was humble and she even apologized for her jealousy towards me when we were kids because she actually had no idea of the pain that I was going through. From the outside looking in, I did look beautiful. My life did appear to be beautiful. and I worked really hard to present myself that way. After I got that letter, I started to look back at old photos, and I'd thought about it before, but what I was... Um, able to really realize very clearly in that moment that when I was most lost and most suffering, I looked the prettiest. My hair was long and thick and perfect, and my makeup always had to be perfect. And in my young, in my, the early part of my life, I always had to have makeup on. And I was starving myself to be skinny. And um, 
in all of the photos, I looked beautiful and I had a big smile on my face. Anything and everything to hide the pain, to hide the sadness and the shame and the fear that overwhelmed me every single day back then. I was able to fight the lies when I was young and still close to heaven. But as I got older, the lies got in and I let people in that were truly odd, weird, and dangerous. At the age of 22, I left my amazing New York City life that I had created. I'd left Montana at age 20 in 1999. And uh, I'm not going to give out names, but I was... um, manipulated to, to move out to Seattle. And, uh, of course that was an abusive situation. So I ran from one abusive situation right into another. And, uh, while living in Seattle, I started dating, if you call it that one of the scariest men, nearly twice my age, um, which of course he didn't tell me until it was, um, you know, too late in many ways. And it was only then in that desperate, dark, scary situation that I realized I was nothing like him, that I, I wasn't weird, nor was I strange. And it was only then that I realized it was actually extraordinary. I was extraordinarily kind, extraordinarily smart, funny, open-hearted, sensitive, and actually powerful. It was the first time I really saw that within myself being with the backdrop, you know, with the backdrop of something so unlike me, you know, it's like everything I told I was, I was now manifesting. And, um, I actually looked nothing like how scary and creepy, um, that situation was. So I was able to thank that situation for teaching me. I was nothing like that. In that moment, I realized that they had lied to me. They had projected all of their fears and their beliefs onto me, and I was determined to fight my way back to who I really was. And I say that because sensitives are born knowing who we are when we're little. In fact, we kind of get made fun of. You're really strong-willed. You're a big mouth. I mean, whatever it is, there's when we're tiny, we're animating authentically. But with programming and programming, we do start to believe these lies that we're told. That was the beginning of the beautiful but excruciating journey of boundaries, which is a journey all sensitives, psychic, intuitive people must take. The truth is those of us born sensitive are weird. We do see and experience the world in a different way. The lie is that it's bad. It's not. It's just different. Therefore, we need to take care of ourselves differently than most of the population. All right, let's go over five beliefs all all sensitive-born people have. Uh, The first belief I hear 99% of sensitives say is, it's my fault. This is one of their first beliefs. It's my fault. Everything's my fault. Um, sensitive people take on everyone else's pain, their thoughts, their responsibilities, beliefs. And if you're born into a family that lives in denial and blames everyone else for their behavior, the sensitive will feel responsible for all of the pain and confusion. And the family is more than happy to, to use that scapegoat. They're all more than happy to say, yeah, it's your fault. It's that one person's fault. And because most sensitives don't know, we, we're not trained, we don't kind of know the difference between you and me energetically, um, we, are easy, we are more easily able to take on other people's um, feelings and therefore their responsibilities for their, their actions and behavior. Number two belief, if they get too close, they'll realize I'm a horrible person. Because we take on other people's pain, we feel bad about ourselves. We don't naturally understand where we end and another person starts. Just like I was saying a minute before. We carry enormous amount of guilt and shame because we carry the energy of others in our aura. So it, I, I'm here to tell you that once we understand that we do that, then we can start slowing down energy and information and start 
realizing the difference between, oh, this is how I feel, you know, this is me and that is you. And there is a very different energy um, between the two of us. But it, it, it can take some conscious effort to get there as a sensitive because again, you think everybody senses and feels the way you do. And I'm here to tell you they don't. <laughs> they do not. They most people don't, they're not as sensitive as you are. So that's something, that's the first thing to take into consideration. Okay. The third belief most sensitives are born with is I don't fit in. If you haven't found other sensitives, um, intuitive people, you're guaranteed to feel weird. Okay. Basic words and thoughts that come out of our mouths are incomprehensible, um, to other people. So we, we do see things through a different lens and often when we say things, people, whether they realize it or not, and 90% of the time they don't realize it, but they, they do look at us like, um, with confusion, <laughs> confusion, or I, I don't know, being stunned. And again, we can say funny things cause we channel stuff. So maybe we say inappropriate things or maybe, um, just again, though our lens is just different than other people. And so I could do probably a whole podcast on how that looks, but for now, um, for now, I'm just going to touch on that, that truth that most people, um, don't understand or relate to the lens, which, which, with which we see the world. And that will always reinforce that you are weird. And I'm excited at the end of this podcast, um, you're going to see that you're not weird. You're just extraordinary and you're sensitive. And that's why you see through the lens that you do and why it's so important to find self-acceptance. And almost only when we find self-acceptance, are we able to then find our people, you know, the people that we can be, uh, you know, the whole spectrum with, we can be good, bad, ugly, everything in between. We can be happy. We can be supportive when we can be mad and selfish and petty. I mean, cause we're people. So sensitives, especially need other people that can follow them into any conversation without limitations. And that's the weird thing. That is something that most people cannot go on the journey with, um, being able to talk about, varieties of things, even the heavy, dark stuff, sad stuff. Um, I certainly felt that way and it was kind of reinforced by my family. You know, you're weird. So it reinforces the loneliness and the isolation and the feeling that you don't belong. And typically God or the creator, however you want to say that makes us find self-acceptance before we're able to find the people that understand who we are. <laughs> it's kind of paradoxical because we're always looking to fit in. Um, and yet we can't quite fit in until we know who we are and we know what kind of people we need to look for specifically that can, can, um, hold us, right? If you can think about something so vast and so deep, most people can't handle and hold something like that. So, um, the phenomenon of always feeling like you don't fit in is something I consistently see with other sensitives. Number four, nobody understands me. Again, this kind of piggybacks off of what we just talked about, but sensitive people feel like they understand everyone. We can see what people expect from us. We, you know, what people think of us and what people want us to do. But as we go through life, we don't um, experience the same understanding from others as we give to them, right? So something as silly as a family member, he said, uh, I've been married to her for 25 years and I know exactly what she expects when she comes home. You know, I know she wants the beds made and the house straightened and, you know, he tries very hard to meet her expectations. And meanwhile, you know, 25 years later, he feels like she doesn't even know who he is. And that, that's just very symbolic of on a day to day sort of thing, what it's like to be a sensitive. We're always, we're always knowing what other people's needs are. And so we try to fill them and we don't want, we don't want to let them down. And, um, we're constantly having to explain our needs to others because 
um, unless you're intuitive, right? You're not a mind reader unless you are. Um, you're not, you're not, um, naturally aware of what other people's needs are or the sensitive kind of can't stop reading everybody else's needs. Um, in fact, to the detriment of making sure that they take care of their own needs. And finally, number five, the belief is I am too sensitive. I can't handle it. Sensitive people are told you're too sensitive, often by people that aren't sensitive enough. Like it's a bad thing to be sensitive, right? And, uh, and you know, words and tone matter to sensitive people because, uh, we're sensitive. So those things do matter to us. Our sensitivity is our truth and our truth lets us know exactly what's going on. Um, so this is just a fact. Sensitive people will be sensitive to, to tone in others because, um, we don't need you to tell us that you're angry or you're annoyed or what have you. We can already feel that. So having those senses on top of a nasty tone <laughs> is, it's just too much for the sensitive, right? And, um, people using aggressive tones, like that's like, that's a whole other conversation because there are some types of beings that just have a harsh tone and that's not, um, that would be something we need to learn to accept in them because they can't, um, they don't have a lot of control over it. Like we don't have a lot of control over how sensitive we are. Uh, that's another conversation and probably another podcast, but, um, just that, if you're too sensitive and you do have a problem with tone and words do matter to you, they certainly matter to me. That's something to just embrace and accept. And it's kind of like with our loved ones, we teach others that that's just something that's true for you. And it's kind of a standard that you would like people to work towards to, you know, cause I work hard with my tone because I'm so sensitive. I know that if I say something in a, just a certain way to my husband or a certain way to my kids or a certain way to my girlfriends or whatever, everybody, my students, everybody, it makes a massive difference. And so back to me, you know, if they could speak this, that, you know, with the same type of care towards me, I appreciate that. And like I said, there are <laughs> some types of people, <laughs> uh, angels, angel beings that often have just harsher tones. So I, again, that's a whole other conversation, but, um, the point here is to em embrace your sensitivity and we teach as Dr. Phil says, right? We teach people how to treat us. If you're that sensitive and tones matter to you and words matter to you, you protect that, you embrace that, and you teach others that that's kind of a requirement when interacting with you as much as possible, obviously, because nobody's going to get it perfect. Okay. Now that we've covered belief systems that aren't true exactly, let's talk about what is true and beautiful about sensitives. I've got 11 things here that we're going to go over and some I might elaborate on and some I won't because this is going to be a long podcast anyway, but I do want to be thorough and thoughtful with you. So, um, number one, what is true? And again, this goes off of my, um, study, my observations, my, you know, all of the, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word right now, but I, I, um, run experiments and I've been doing this since 2007, um, where I, these are things I see across the board. So number one, you are, you as a sensitive, you are incredibly generous with your understanding time and heart. So again, this kind of goes back to, um, conversation. So sensitives often give too much of themselves away. <laughs> just as a really cute story. Um, you know, the kids are on quarantine now. And so my son has been talking to his friends, you know, on the phone and they've been playing games together. And <laughs> one evening I let him play for like three hours. They were really into it. They're having a good time. And I just, you know, we need to pass the time and we need to have fun. Um, <laughs> I went into his room to check on him before bedtime and, uh, he looked up at me, he goes, I feel so empty. <laughs> you know, 
and it's funny because he's a sensitive and we, we, we just give it all away. And, uh, him saying that so honestly and to the point, I just thought was such a beautiful thing because that's who he is. That's who he is with his time, his friends, his family. Um, he's a sensitive like you, he, he understands and he wants to be there and he shows up fully. And again, sometimes <laughs> to his detriment, to our detriment, um, but it's just a fact. Sensitives are incredibly generous. So this is something um, you got to know about yourself. And so you can responsibly um, give what you can away whilst keeping <laughs> your life force for, you know, your own life. Number two, you are deeper and more compassionate than most people. Okay. So like in a room full of sensitives, um, when I lead my, um, mentorship groups, I, I do try to, I want people to bring whatever is going on. Like I always say the cruelest thing you can do to a room full of psychics is lie to us. Right. So I do have this like standard of honesty in the groups that I hold. And, um, I had been in California for a two for a few years. And then I came back to Colorado and I invited some of the old the people from my, the old group that I used to hold for, I don't know, over five, six, seven years. Anyway. Um, so I had some of the older, um, the older students there. And then I invited a few more people that I just knew needed it. And, um, one of the gals just kind of like dropped just this huge bomb, like this, this whole, this, like this thing that was like so grotesque to read. And just, I, I, I couldn't believe she said it. And then I had to spend some time trying to energetically clean up what she said, right? Because, because she'd said something that I knew uh, this room full of intuitives and sensitives were now remote viewing and their ability to see the big picture and they're seeing it there's right. So they're seeing it, they're feeling it, they're hearing it. Um, and then I know the quality of compassion that these types of people carry. And so I didn't want them to leave me, um, remote viewing the situation that the other gal had just kind of dropped on everybody. So, um, that's a, one side effect of be, being sensitive is that we, we do, we must become more selective with the things that we want to look at and know about. We, we typically are like curiosity killed the cat type people. We're extremely curious and we think we can handle anything because for the most part we can handle a lot. So, but we have limitations because we are so sensitive that we must learn to discern, be more discerning in the things that we look at because, you know, we can't just kind of hear the news and be really detached from it. We, we start remote viewing it or we start reading the situation or we start internalizing or personalizing it. I have trained psychics that will start pulling that energy to carry themselves to sort of unburden whatever they you know, whatever they saw or heard that bothered them, like they don't even know they're doing it. Um, so that, this is a beautiful thing, right? There's like nobody else I'd rather talk to than other sensitives because they can handle whatever depth I want to go to and through in a conversation. And, um, they have compassion for not only me, but everybody else in the story. Like if I share a story with them, they have compassion for all, and sometimes that can get in the way of clarity, right? We, we can be too compassionate sometimes, uh, where we must learn like a nose and nose. No, it's not like, Oh, it's a no, but like they didn't mean to. And so there's some, some spiritual maturity that can be helpful there. But in general, sensitive people are deeper and more compassionate than most. Number three, you understand other people thus being a soft place to fall. So again, I like the older I get and the more, you know, this has been my life for like professionally, like really integrated for the last 13 years. And, um, I almost can't stand just, you know, um, offering, you know, I, I just don't like share. I, I share with people, right. Cause I'm a sharer and I'm a storyteller and I'm a giver. Um, but when it comes to me personally, I really only want to talk to right. The con 
to confide with other sensitives because they just understand. They understand. They understand the big picture. Um, they typically don't necessarily take sides. I mean, obviously, I can be really protective of, of the people that I love. Um, but we typically include everyone in terms of we understand everybody's point of view. And so most people, mm, I don't know if I want to say it that way, but let's just say there are some people that just don't understand, right? So the sensitives are naturally people that just get it. They understand you don't need a lot of language. If I'm in group and there's, you know, five to 10 other sensitives right there with me, um, they don't need a lot of language. You say what you're you know, you say what's going on and they can read the whole picture. They can see it, they can smell it, they hear it, they know it. Um, it doesn't take a lot to have them understand anything. They just get it. Okay. So that means you do, you just, you're an understanding person. And, and the, the part that kind of breaks our heart is when we're understanding. And again, let's just say you're very compassionate and you understand and you go to share with somebody in your family or a friend and they just don't understand you, right? That this is something I hear all the time in all ages. And, you know, typically my clients are mm, 50 to 70. That's sort of the average age of my students and my friends, <laughs> by the way. But, um, um, they just, you, you get what I'm saying that, that, that understanding is just, um, it can break your heart because you feel like other people don't understand you. I guess is to sum up what I'm trying to say. And I'm kind of getting lost in the totality of, of that, how most sensitives feel. They feel like the average person that they, they're not understood. And this is, I want to validate those feelings that you have because it's, I think rare to feel understood. Um, unless you cultivate that in a relationship, I think that's definitely something that anyone can cultivate if there's two willing parties, but not, you know, naturally you just have a lot of understanding that other people just simply can't offer you because it's just not maybe naturally who they are. And so I don't want you to be discouraged, but no, Hey, I, I'm a sensitive, so I can offer understanding that I can't necessarily get in return. And depending on the situation and the relationship, that's maybe okay. Or, you know, maybe it's a renegotiation of friendships or what have you. Okay. Number four, you are stronger than anyone else. Sensitive people have daily conversations that most people couldn't handle in a lifetime. So again, the older I get, um, you know, the girlfriends that I have, the people I have in my life, I mean, we're meeting for coffee, we're meeting for lunch, we're meeting for dinners, and we're having actual conversations. Like there's barely how's the weather. I mean, that really barely exists anymore with my girlfriends or the people that are close to me because um, just as, as a matter of fact, sensitive people get really bored with how's the weather. I mean, we can play that game and we certainly can do that because it's polite society stuff there. But, um, we want to, if we say, how are you doing? We actually want to know in general, obviously, maybe not every single person we come in contact with, but, um, again, uh, we could talk uh, again, I'm a medium. So my conversations can include death, uh, because it's a part of my work. It's part of my reality. It's a part of yours too. It's part of all of ours, but most people don't talk about that. Um, and so the strength comes, the, the sensitive person wants to know, they want to feel, they want, we want to experience, we want to know. And, um, we, we feel patronized if you sort of shush us, shush us away from like what you're actually going through. Um, so you can feel a sense of being patronized without understanding that that's the feeling that you're having when you're in most conversations with most people and it's limited, um, because you're deep and you're strong and you can, um, you know, I've, I've have colleagues that are friends of mine and they're, they're mediums. I have friends that are colleagues that have lost, uh, family members that are very close, even children. And the strength is that we can talk about that. Um, they don't have to hide that part of themselves from me and I don't have to hide part of myself from them. And even in spite of it all, we can have a good laugh and we can, you know, 
this work in this life is about silver linings and what are we learning and why is this happening? I'm a big fan of the why. And as mediums, as psychics, as sensitives, we can get that information. And so it's, it's an expectation that you have the older you get, that you want to be able to be in conversation and relationship with people that can handle, you know, sensitive conversations, if you will, sensitive subjects. Okay. Number five, you are an older soul. You are the adult in the room, even if you're the tactically youngest person in the room. So, um, the point of this is that, um, you know, the phenomenon, let's just say I was, I think 17, I graduated early from high school. I went and worked up in Glacier National Park. Um, I think I was like the only person at this, um, there was a restaurant and there's a little coffee cove thing. And I was like the only hired person for that, um, coffee bar. And our manager came in from Arizona. And so it's like the day one, it's orientation. And she was probably in her late thirties and she always confided in me. She always asked me for guidance. She always asked me, you know, for the responsibility. She always went to me for things and I didn't blink. I didn't blink an eyelash at this because this, this type of behavior has happened my whole life where always much, much older people looked at me for assurance and guidance and protection and you know, what have you there. I mean, I don't think this is relevant, but in my little, um, what's it called when you go to church and you get to get the communion, um, I forget what the word is right now, but when I was in, let's just say when I was well, first communion, I think is what it's called. And I was looking in those photos and kids used to always think I was the teacher. And looking back in those old photos, I look like a little tiny old woman. So <laughs> I think uh, in some senses we can look older. Um, we can have older souls. Like that's an Ainsley McLeod expertise sort of area there. But it's like we've, we've been here many, many times and just subconsciously or spiritually, they know that you're an older soul and you have access to information, even if you're technically the youngest person. So a sensitive is we're just, we almost don't care about age because we realize that souls that people are, gosh, I mean, like, I don't know what the word is ancient. I mean, we, we go on different, I don't want to totally go off the rails with you, but you know, souls are timeless and the phenomenon of the sensitive is often asked to be the most mature person. And there are some sensitives that really resent that. And I just want to invite you that if that is a phenomenon that is happening to you, which I have no doubt it is to just embrace it you know, you just are. And if we can let go, like, how dare you put so much on me? I'm 20 years younger than you or whatever. Like I said, with my, um, manager when I was 20, uh, 17, actually in Glacier National Park, I was, conf you know, I, I didn't bat an eyelash, but let's just say maybe I kind of resented it on some level because, um, I was, I, as a younger person was sort of looking for others to, um, you know, guide me or lead me. Um, so that maybe there's this paradox that we must confront that though we maybe don't realize, but now we realize we're maybe the oldest soul in the room and people are expecting that from us. Um, there is a subconscious sort of pattern or habit or belief system that, um, you know, you're older, so you do it. And I, again, I'm just inviting you that is if that's, if people look at you that way, just step into that, just step fully into that aspect of who you are, because it actually is who your soul is. So, um, if we can just be more refined where we're not living in paradoxes where, yeah, we like to be respected as the oldest person in the room, even if we're, you know, 17, 18, 20, but then subconsciously we resent that type of pressure and burden. So if we can just refine ourselves that if this is a phenomenon that you deal with and experience, just go ahead and accept it and embrace it. And that way you're in alignment, you're not fractured and, um, you can just step into that, which your soul on some level just respects about that type of phenomenon. Embrace it. Okay. Number 
Number six, you are a mirror. I did a whole other podcast on this subject. You can't help but mirror back to people that which they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, number seven, you offer a kindness not common on this earth, even if you come across prickly or hot-tempered people. Um, So to, you know, briefly, um, we can often either, we read someone's energy and it triggers triggers us into anger when we don't understand this part of ourselves or we we just are very kind and we're just very consistent with that kindness sometimes where we regret it later um so I spent you know the first part of my life trying to be as nice as I could to everybody and that was definitely at the expense of my self-confidence and um you know having any sense of self-respect um, you know, my head was slammed into the wall at the mall by three girls I didn't know. Um, somebody would say something awful to me and I would just smile and, you know, cry and get mad later. Like I, ne- I never fought back. I never said anything back. I let people do a lot of awful things to me and there was never any consequence for them. So, um, again, number seven, you can be too kind So sometimes when we lack self-esteem as a sensitive, this is the one that really gets us. It's that we're too kind because you are, you are kind and you have to, it's spiritual maturity to understand that, um, kindness does not mean doormat, right? So I am a nice person and I'm also more than happy now that, (laughs) that I've got some clarity around this, that I'm also not a doormat. And so me standing up for myself or my family or my friends, whatever, doesn't take away my kindness. Um, it's just that I've matured enough to, I, I will not stand for cruelty anymore. Um, that's a whole podcast topic, but for now, I'll leave it there. Number eight, you validate people. Validation for feelings or things people have been through or what they see is a wonderful gift. People need to be validated and sensitives are the people who naturally do that. Um, so often, again, cause we have a sense of depth and strength naturally. Um, you know, like typically it's that conversation where you're, you know, you're saying something and you're not quite sure that, um, somebody will believe you or you're kind of, you know, still cautious about sharing, cautious about sharing a part of you with somebody. And, you know, the sensitive looks you in the eye and they don't even bat an eyelash at you when you share something, or if you express pain or fear or what have you, they just, they can hold that. They can validate that for you. They don't try to dismiss that away. They don't try to talk you out of it. It's just like, yeah, that sucks. Or, oh my God, that's awful. Or, you know, they don't try to pull you out of what the truth of the moment is into some like airy fairy reality. Um, you know, like, so I, I sense it with my children, if they come back from school and they've been through something that day, I just, I can, I can validate that for them. Like, yeah, that's not good behavior. Like that sucks, whatever that person did, or I can, I can, I can hold that for them. I can validate um, inappropriate behavior, you know, either for themselves or from the world. I can, um, we don't typically need people to deny and change what they just said to pretend we live in this like perfect dimension. Cause we don't. So, um, number nine, you are brave. Sensitives are so brave. I see this in my work daily in my work. You see things and feel things most people would lose their minds over. You stick with it and stick to it, even if you're scared or incredibly sad. You just keep going. You know, you keep picking up the phone. You keep pushing forward. You keep wanting to know more, even when you didn't want to know what you already knew. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> We're like, oh, I'm at my max. Tell me more. <laughs> Um, so sensitives, again, what, what you can contain, what you can handle, the conversations that you can have, the truth that you require from people, that is a sense of bravery that I'm really, I'm passionate that, you know, that aspect of yourself, um, you are brave, 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 brave. Okay. Number 10, 
You have a strong will. You have a will and a wisdom that will get you through life. You have gone through a hell and it won't stop you, right? So now this is more of like 70, 30, um, 70, 30. I can't do math and podcast at the same time. <laughs> uh, I think that's right. Anyway, um, most sensitives, um, have very strong wills, right? So from me personally, that, that strong will, like my life has gotten dark, dark, dark many times. And there was, thank God, a point at which I couldn't take it anymore. And that will, you know, it's either fight or flight, right? So I didn't always handle it right. But my will kept me going through stuff. I do have students that don't have quite as strong of a will. And my experiments and my study would suggest that it's maybe because they just haven't had to access that part of themselves yet. You know, like if you're a poor kid and if you stay in the situation, it will literally kill you versus, um, you know, being in a bad situation and maybe having options, right? So like a lifetime of options versus a lifetime of no options sort of drives the will, um, to get stronger. And, um, I want to tell a story, but I think I'll save it for another time on that. Um, number 11, you are beautiful. If you could see what I see in you, you would hold your head up high, your shoulders back and confidently walk through this world. Your soul radiates brighter than the non-sensitives. You are beautiful. Um, so again, I mean that from my heart. Um, I don't, I don't divide people up like sensitive, non-sensitive, but, um, I'm just saying that I've come to, you know, or these were aspects of myself I hated and I denied and I didn't understand. And there were many people that were more than happy to pervert these, what I see as beautiful aspects of myself, of you. Um, people are more than happy to, to take that and twist it and pervert it and take that away from you. Um, so, I'm just so passionate about sensitives, understanding, you know, I guess I say, you know, cause it, it made me think about a story. I was dating a guy, um, I was probably 1920 and, uh, you know, he was like a God. He was like six foot eight and beautiful blue eyes and just gorgeous. Like the talk of the town type guy. Right. And I was, I got, I got to date him and it was pretty serious. And, um, at one point we we're going up to the mountains and he was pissed off about something like usual. And he just screamed at me like you such a sensitive bitch or something God awful. And I remember I, I froze like I did back then. And I wrote those words down. You're such a sensitive bitch. And it, that I, I read those words over and over to hurt, you know, and I literally could feel a stinging pain in my heart knowing um, knowing that about myself and not knowing how to fix that quote unquote. And, um, so that, that's what I, that's what, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I mean, I'm so compassionate and passionate about these sensitive beings, me and you, um, how the world can take that, your sensitivity and call you bitch and call you names. Um, and I am, def you know, I, def I don't know what the word is. I defy that or I, it's just, no, your sensitivity is your superpower it is your freaking superpower. And it's, it's what makes you have a quality of life that most people can't access. All people can't access, but most people won't because they will have to even learn how to be sensitive. You know, that's what I would say to my younger self. Like sensitivity is not <laughs> a bad thing. <laughs> Lack of sensitivity is actually the bad thing. Um, it did not take me much longer to break up with the guy after that, but those words I recorded in my heart and I used those words to hurt myself over and over, um, years after that. And so again, your sensitivity is your superpower. It, um, you know, this is what I teach my students. It's what I teach my children. Your sensitivity helps you make the right decisions. Your sensitivity protects your relationships, people that you love. Like I'm in a loving relationship now because of my sensitivity. Um, and I call out both of our sensitivities every single day because the minute he, my husband and I aren't sensitive to each other, 
then what the hell are we doing, right? If you're not sensitive to your friends or your children, like what the hell kind of damage are we doing if we're not being sensitive to each other? So anyway, um, I traveled the States trying to understand my sensitivity and my intuition. And there was, there was simply no help in Montana. And um, this is going back into a little bit of history. Friends would say that I was amazing, but nobody can explain my psychic gift. Like they didn't really have a word, um, the, a word for who I was. Well, like what was kind of different about me. They loved it. And that would actually make me hate it. Whenever they'd sort of call me out as different, I could remember feeling really humiliated and embarrassed. And I think my probably natural feeling was a hatred towards my sensitivity for the reasons I've said and plenty of more. So I sought help out for, I moved uh, to New York city at 20 years old, trying to find help only to find um, more unreliable eccentric people that scared the shit out of me, quite frankly. I moved from New York City to Seattle, back to Montana and to New England, and I was always in search of somebody that could help me uh, with my sensitivity or my gift. I didn't even know what the hell to call it. And like I said before, and um, actually, I don't know if I've told you the story. In 2006, while living in New England, I had the time to read hundreds of books while my toddler, while my daughter napped at the time. And after reading like 15 of psychic medium, Sylvia Brown's books, I was desperate enough to try to get a reading with her. Now, like the, at the time I was like, who am I? What am I born to do? Right. I'd already done real estate. I'd already moved to New York city at the time. I already did marketing in Seattle. I'd already worked at stock brokerage firms, like whatever I wanted to do, I would make that happen. And I, <laughs> I still had no sense of who I was. I had no sense of what the hell I wanted to do with my life. I was now a mother and that was certainly fulfilling enough, but there was always this question like, who am I and what am I born to do? Um, so when I reached out to try to get uh, a reading with Sylvia Brown, she was booked for like five years out. And by the way, her readings were like a half an hour for, I'm sorry, her readings were like a thousand dollars for a half hour reading. And I was desperate enough for some guidance. So the next best option was to book a session with her son. He was like a third of the price or something. So the day of the reading, I'll never forget um, they would not give me like a specific time he'd call. So at like 10 55, I put my toddler at the kitchen sink, um, just to play with some water and have, you know, just be silly. And like at 11 o'clock the phone rang and it was him. And so you guys see where this is going, right? I put a toddler at a sink full of water and cups and bowls to play with and five minutes later, I'm taking her away. <laughs> so in my mind, like I'd get on the phone with him and I, I put her on in you know, like in the crib contained with a little video on. And that way I could, I could actually focus on what he was saying. And so sure enough, I asked him to hold on while I put my toddler in her crib. And of course she went totally apeshit. You know, she was crying and scream bloody murder and <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do, right? I needed her to be contained and safe while I was on the phone for a half hour looking at her, but not, you know, you get it. Anyway, I came back to the phone and I apologized to him uh, for putting him on hold. And um, he asked where I'd like to start. And I'd been reading his mother's books like for two years. I had all like even her church books, like she's got a church of Nova Spiritus or whatever. So there, it goes even more depth of like spiritual questions. So you know, I had questions like, what was I born to do? What's my soul's age? Am I really psychic? How do I help other people? How do I figure myself out? Um, where can I get help for being so damn sensitive? And you know, like right away, instead of answering any of my questions, he screamed at me like, well, let's start with the fact that you, if you don't get medicated, your husband's going to leave you. You need to be on medication. You know, like I was so shocked and stunned. I mean, obviously my husband and I were having a difficult time. We had met, married, had a baby and moved to New England from Montana, um, like in a year. And he was working in Massachusetts. We were living in New Hampshire. I was totally alone with a baby, you know, no friends, no family, no nothing. So like 
I, I didn't have a question about my husband and I, cause I, I already knew what was going on. And so, um, I froze, which was my, my thing. And, um, well, and then I, I, uh, just kind of froze and, you know, did the little soft girl talk, which I know, you know what I'm talking about there. Like, Oh, oh okay. You know, uh, meanwhile, somebody close to me was on medication and was having problems with their marriage. Now, maybe that's giving him a little bit of credit where he actually doesn't deserve any credit at all. But, um, you know, at the time it was maybe July. And of course I was asking, I wanted to ask if we were going to move to Colorado, which I did muster the courage to ask if we were moving to Colorado and if we were going to buy the house that we were looking at. And he said, Nope, Nope, Nope. You'll have three kids, you know, like get medication. You'll be a stay at home mom. Like just shut up. That's it. Be happy. And I, uh, you know, by the way, we moved to Colorado two months later we bought the house that I knew we would. And I only have three kids and I have had a career for the last 13 years. So the point was, is like everything he said was totally wrong. And you know, you're paying a psychic for psychic information and he tells you to drug yourself and all of the things you were hoping for, he said no to. So the whole thing sent me into a spiritual crisis that took me months to come out of. Um, and, uh, you know, my point is, it's like, it wasn't until we moved to Colorado and I did find my mentor that I received not only help from her, but proper, um, val- you know, proper help and validation on my life and with my gift. And in hindsight, I'm really glad that I had that experience with him because, um, I think about that a lot when I am in session with somebody, like I remember the vulnerability and the fear that I felt not knowing who I was and the desperation and the prayer when you're reaching out to somebody who claims to be psychic, um, you're, you're, you're relying on that. They have access to information. You don't, um, what I would say was, I was getting information I needed validation on and encouragement on. And had he been a da- had he been a psychic even, because he obviously wasn't, he was just writing the coattails of his mother, but had he actually been a psychic, he could have validated the information I was already getting. You know, yes, you and your husband are having a rough time because of whatever, but you'll get through it. You know, yes, you'll move to Colorado, you know, yes, you're going to get that house. And by the way, you're sensitive just like me, which as a message I, I'm happy to say I get to offer to many, many, many of my clients, um, as my mentor did for me, um, being able to say maybe for the first time, somebody's actually hearing, you've got this gift. You are, you are as sensitive as you think you are. So I understand why the guides let me go through that trauma <laughs> because again, this is actually my work and there's no way in hell I'm ever going to do that to somebody else. I will never be responsible for somebody else's spiritual crisis because of my lack of gift or my lack of sensitivity or what, whatever else he actually symbolized. Um, so, um, truthfully, even among other psychics at the beginning, right? When I started with my mentor, um, I felt odd even with her group, I still felt odd in the midst of her group. And, um, she would always say to me when I started teaching, um, I would find my people. And when she'd say that all those years ago, I would be like, teach, like I couldn't even say my name without passing out in fear at the time. But of course she was right. It took a spiritual awakening in 2010 when I confronted myself and my demons and my gift. And I, was able to come out clear on the other side. It was confronting the sensitivity within myself that I was able to see clearly in others. I was able to finally see it clearly in others when I finally was able to see it in myself. And after teaching other sensitives for almost, well, for over a decade, I can tell you with total surety, you are beautiful. That sensitivity within you is from my point of view, one of the most beautiful things I have the pleasure of seeing while here in this dimension. Okay, let's near the end here. And as we near the end, I'm going to give you five ways to embrace and protect your sensitivity. So number one, one of the surest ways is to confront the lies. Um, 
one of the tools that I used was Dr. Phil's self matter books. He does lots and lots of lots of exercises too. Um, that's one of the things I did and that goes way back. That goes back to probably early two thousands. I, um, sometime I'll tell you the whole story, but in the early two thousands while living in Seattle, I went out to the ocean to either heal or kill myself. And I went to the ocean with, for a week, I was dropped off by a friend. And the only thing I had was Dr. Phil's book, Self Matters. And I was like, I need to figure this out. I need to find some boundaries. And at the time, I had no idea how to do that. So that book really helped me confront the lies that I, I was believing. That, you know, when somebody you love tells you something about you, and they're supposed to love you, you kind of believe them. Because it's like inconceivable that somebody that should love you would lie to you so badly. Um, so w- what I would encourage you to do is sit down and write like 20 things people have said to you or say to you that might be a lie. Um, one of my students has been told over and over that she's just so angry. And um, I find her anger one of the most adorable things about her because she's actually Every time I can see kind of the rage come up in her, what I see in her actually is her sensitivity. And she's like this little girl that like nobody has freaking listened to her whole life. And she's pissed off. And so she talks really loud and she can kind of get carried away. And I just see it. Um, when I, when I would finally started to speak that to her, like you're actually extremely tenderhearted. You're actually extremely generous and you, you know, you have this huge motherly archetype and she's not even a mom, but she does. She has the motherly archetype. Um, um, you know, I could see this like doubt in her eyes, like for 60 plus years, nobody has told her these things about herself. And yeah, I see it cause I am psychic, but I also see how anger is the lie, right? If you're, if you're saying something and people don't like what you say, they just dismiss you like, Oh, you're angry or you're just too sensitive or, you know, it's a way to dismiss the truth of what the hell you're saying. And I'm sorry, but sensitives want to talk about the truth. And so that upbringing could be full, you know, the up, the childhood programming can be full of lies. Um, you know, I can relate to that. I'll tell one short, another quick story. I was told I was angry too, as a, as a teenager. And, uh, by all accounts, I had every right to be angry at a minimum. (laughs) So, um, uh, not, not long ago, like my daughter was, you know, acting a little bit out of control. She's a teenager. And I just simply said, give me your phone. Like, that's it. Give me your phone. And I was super calm about it. And she just starts like going crazy. Cause like what kid wants to be told hand over your phone. And, um, She's, <laughs> she's so mad and she does not want to give me her phone. And I stayed so calm and I said, give me your phone. And she did. And then she yelled at me and went upstairs and like, it was just a total teenage moment. And I remember being told like, Whoa, you're so hateful and you're so angry. And I was like, I mean, that's just another moment of evidence. Like I'm not, I am actually not. Cause in that moment where I should be really reactive, like my daughter's going crazy and she's mad and it was just adorable. Like I understand why she's mad. And so like with my client, with my student, it's like, that's a lie. That's a lie that you were told so that somebody could dismiss your feelings at the time, which by the way, would piss you off and piss, piss anybody off. Number two, embrace your sensitivity. The next time someone says to you, you're too sensitive, say, thank you. And a really quick note, one time my husband was talking to my son and he said, Oh God, you're just like your mother. And my son just sweetly looked back at his dad and goes, thank you. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> and I, I just love that. Cause it's like, if I tell my daughter, Oh, you're beautiful or you're smart or you're kind, you're funny. She's just like, yep. You know, it's like, yep, yep, I am. And that's how like us older generational people we need to be. It's like, Oh, you're so sensitive. Thank you. I, yes, I am sensitive. And maybe we need to talk about that because I'm not willing to negotiate that anymore. Right? So number three, the next time you feel quote unquote, something is off or not quite right. Believe it. Right? So, um, 
we tend to dismiss these feelings to the point where we are like, we have to shut down to not get these messages anymore. So I would encourage you to reconnect with that or to, to keep supporting that. You just like, oh, I'm feeling something like I'm going to keep looking until I can maybe find an answer. Maybe like two weeks ago, it was a weekend and I, my son and I took the dogs for a walk and, uh, my, by the time we got back, my son said, man, I keep smelling old lady perfume. And I'm like, all right, let's just slow this down. Like, let's start asking yes or no, um, questions, you know, is this me or you? And he got, it was for me. And I'm like, you know, who's this from? Yes or no. You know, I gave him some examples and stuff. So the point is, is that over and over what I trained my students to do, what I trained my children to do, what I trained, had to train myself to do is that when there is something going on and there's something not quite right, you, you tune in until you can find the answer. So finally we we're able to find the answer with my son. He's like, man, the smell has gone. Mom, can you, do you notice? And I'm like, yep, it's gone. Okay. So you're, you're, you're to embrace that sensitivity to get back online off of denial it's that, okay, something's not quite right. Try to ask questions. Even like if your husband's not quite acting right or your kids aren't quite acting right, don't dismiss it. Like go towards it. You know, when my kids are like, if my daughter, especially the teenager, and something's not quite right, I kind of just hang out with her until we can uh, uncover, you know, unearth maybe what's bothering her. Even if she says like, I don't know, I'll hang out with her and we'll just like, I'll say it a couple different ways until we can kind of, help bring out whatever is pushing on her or bothering her. Um, so that's a great way to engage, to come back online and get out of denial. Number four, when you feel yourself talking, um, or rather taking on a powerful emotion, ask yourself, is this my feeling or someone else's feelings? So that's a great doorway. Like, is this me or is this you? And sensitive people struggle with their boundaries with that. So that's a great way to just refine the energy. Number five, watch your thoughts. If you're having too many negative thoughts, put, um, you know, you can do an affirmation thing, like anything Louise Hay. Um, you can write out some affirmations. You got to get those thoughts organized and moving in a positive direction. So you can get more clear about what's true and what's a lie. So you can have clearer boundaries. I mean, it's a paradox, right? Like when you love and approve of yourself, that's when you meet people that love and approve of you. Like, man, we like, we, we want it the other way. We want other people to love and approve of us before we are able to. But in my experience, and then watching my students go through this, this concept too, right? This reality, like, what you ask somebody else to do of you, you don't do for yourself. You know, like the women maybe that are wanting a life partner and yet they shit on themselves all the time. You know, I'm too tall, I'm too fat, I'm too this, I'm too that, but I'd like a partner. And it's like, mm, that resistance to a partner is like, you think if you think this of you, they're going to think that of you too. <laughs> and it's like, but we're like subconsciously waiting to find a man who will tell us all these things lovely about ourselves when we don't feel that way about ourselves. So our sensitivity is the same way. The, the only way we can get like to the purest form of sensitivity is to, to love, love, love that aspect of ourselves and know how to have boundaries around it, how to protect it, how to, you know, encourage that part of us to animate every single day. Um, those five things can be really helpful, you know, affirmations and, um, things like that. So, um, you know, and again, I had to go through several spiritual crises, um, two major ones that really, I had to get there before I could meet other people in the world that can give it to me. Um, I had to find that I had to understand what the hell this intuition was and how it worked. Um, and then it's like, then I finally met people that could like speak the language, that paradox of that reality that we have to go through. Um, but the truth is, is like some of my dearest friends, had I not gone through what I went through and had the awakenings that I did, we would not have the same type of relationships, right? Like, so that my girlfriends today are at like a whole new level of reality that I couldn't have met them 10 years ago. I couldn't have met them, you know, 15, 20 years ago because we, 
we wouldn't have related. Like we're, we're on a, a new plane and we speak a different language and therefore we're speaking the same language, if you will. Um, so it, it, again, if you can, if you're a sensitive and you can allow the other sensitives in your life to be sensitive, I just, I, I think you guys can see what kind of a, a gift that is. Um, to be, maybe I, I don't know anything about this cause, but I, I, I know of people in like recovery programs and it's like the addict, the addict that has, um, recovered or is in recovery, um, being fully an addict in recovery and just really holding that truth for other addicts in recovery. It's like, that's a point of reference for other people that want to be there. And so like as a sensitive, we're fully embracing our sensitivity and we're allowing the sensitivities and others, right? Like my student doesn't want to hear like, oh, you're actually really tender hearted. Like that's, that's not something that's easy for somebody who's felt like they've had a fight their whole life, but maybe to stop fighting and start being sensitive. They need to know that about themselves. They need to know that the anger comes from their sensitivity and it's the fight in them that tries to protect them. But like so many of us just want to be done fighting like enough already. We want to be loving and we want to be sensitive and we want our lives to reflect that sensitivity and that beauty. And so we have to learn to stop fighting. And so it's like, okay, I'm a, I'm big hearted, man. I'm sensitive, man. I can't handle a bunch of bullshit from you. That requires maybe even new people in our lives or maybe no people for a while, like to be comfortable, like maybe everybody in my life that I've attracted through my anger, I now will lose, right? And that's a whole other podcast. And that's definitely a true phenomenon of like, like, you know, if we've made decisions off of this lie, we've definitely created a lifestyle based off of that. So there, there is like a reconstruction that must go on. And that often involves letting people go, which I know is super scary for people. I am going to do a podcast because that is a hundred percent going to happen and it's a hundred percent. Okay. But I know that you could use some encouragement through that phenomenon, but, um, and so again, we can either believe the lie, hey, I'm just an angry person, I'm just pissed off, and that those are the people we attract in our lives, therefore keeping that lie in place. So it's like, no, actually I'm really sensitive. I just really can't take a lot of shit. I just really don't want to. You know, I just really don't need a lot of nonsense because I can handle a lot, so I don't need a lot of extra put on top of that. Um, anyway, that's it for this week. If you're curious about which is the strongest Claire in you, Go to my website at katesaintclair.com and take my quiz, Which Claire Are You? Thank you for being here with me. Subscribe to this podcast if you'd like to catch next week's um, podcast. Um, it looks like it's called Five Ways People Realize They Are Psychic and Sometimes a Medium. Um, so we'll go in depth, in depth at how, you know, it, we can come to this work, this reality in different ways. And um, I want to give you a couple of tips. I want to tell you lots of stories because I am a storyteller. So if you're going to subscribe to this podcast, I would really love you to leave a review so that we could let other sensitives know that this is a place for them. These are the stories they need to hear. This is the encouragement that they um, could use too. So I'll see you next week. And remember, it's your birthright to be guided and be great. <laughs>